In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Um, we can close the door in the back. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Mina. <coughs> so this is the, uh, the third talk on a series on marriage and family life. And what we're attempting to do is just to create a context uh, so that we're all on the same page in terms of uh, vision, in terms of objectives. Um, so we've just made some, um, some reflections on marriage as a mystery, as a path to salvation. And um, last time, uh, the second talk, we talked a little bit about intimacy and intimacy as uh, the way it forms in, uh, in childhood between the mother and the child bond, which I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm guessing for some people, maybe uh, the connection drawing intimacy between a mother and a child uh, and intimacy within marriage maybe uh, was, was not clear how those two things might be connected. So I wanna review that a little bit and then I want us to move uh, forward because we have a lot of stuff to, to cover. So last time I shared with you uh, the four S's of uh, Dr. Daniel Siegel. Does anyone remember what those four S's are if you were here? Okay, so the four S's were uh, uh, to be seen, to be soothed, to be safe, and to be secure. Um, and I, I won't go into the, the details of the things that we covered. You could go back and listen to the recording. But typically, um, when you hear couples talk about um, issues that come up in marriage, one of the things that people will say is, uh, I don't think my husband really sees me. I don't, I, I don't think my husband sees how much I'm hurting. Or the husband will say, I don't think my wife really knows what I'm going through. I don't think she really sees what I'm experiencing. And so sometimes there's this sense of not being seen in the relationship. <coughs> and in terms of soothe, um, this also comes up in terms of, um, you know, all I really needed was a hug and not a lecture. All I needed was to know that you had my back and, and you weren't there for me. Uh, at a time where I was really vulnerable or desperate or really um, struggling and you weren't there for me. Uh, and so some of the complaints might come up in the area of being soothed, of wanting our partner to be there when things are really difficult. And to feel safe. Um, it's often the time, you would agree with me, Sam, um, it's often the time that sometimes we don't bring up certain conversation because it doesn't feel safe to talk about it. Um, so maybe they become like really hot buttons and um, you've talked about something so many times and you know it just doesn't feel safe to talk about it. Because if you do, it'll bring up very strong feelings um, and, um, and you're not quite sure how it's going to, uh, to end. And so it's not, it, it doesn't feel emotionally, it doesn't feel safe to talk about it. And secure, uh, when, when we're being missed and being seen 
our partner is not soothing us, it doesn't feel safe to talk about certain things in the relationship, uh, then the relationship doesn't feel very secure. Uh, you might say, well, I know my partner, uh, because of their faith, they're not going to leave me. Uh, but I don't feel like my partner really is really happy. My spouse is really happy or really invested in the relationship. And there is this emotional disconnect. There's this emotional distance. So the very fundamental things that we needed in childhood to be seen, sued, safe, and secure are really essential in marriage. Um, we want our partner to really get it. We want our spouse to get it, to understand what we're going through, to be there, to help us soothe, and to feel, to feel secure. Like we could have an argument, it could be a heated argument, and, um, and, and I'm not worried. I'm not worried that the relationship is going to, to suffer. Um, <clears throat> Can someone be so kind to see why, the, oh, there we go. Um, so those are the four S's that we talked about um, last time. And we talked about the ways that they could be interrupted. You know, if we had parents who were highly stressed, uh, emotionally just overwhelmed, that they weren't going to be attuned to us. Uh, they weren't going to respond in the way that we needed to kind of help soothe our nervous system, to be able to, to regulate our emotions, to, be, to feel safe, uh, uh, to no fault of their own. But, um, you know, we all got certain cards that were dealt and, and we're trying to pass on a, a better deck of cards, if, if you will. Um, I don't want to get in too much into this because I think it'll, it'll kind of sidetrack us, but we talked about ways that people, uh, people attach to others. So in relationships, there are people who feel very secure in the relationship. They don't have a problem asking for help. They don't have a problem being vulnerable with their feelings. I'm really scared right now. I feel overwhelmed. I need you. They could ask for help. People with attachment issues, they have a very difficult time doing that. Um, first of all, I won't tell you that uh, I'm very scared I need your help because I don't trust that you will help me because my experience has told me that people are not really trustworthy. And so a lot of times we'll come into our marriage with these relationship wounds, with these hurts. Um, and marriage is a place where that could be healed. So we talked about, um, last week, we talked about avoiding attachment. This is someone who's um, kind of have this uh, pseudo-autonomy, like I'm okay on my own. Uh, and sometimes when marriage is not going really well, people kind of uh, um, orbit around each other. Like we're married, we're taking care of the kids, but I don't, I don't really need anything from my spouse. Some people will say that because they're just so hurt that they won't reach out for emotional affection or connection or anything like that. They'll say, I'll just focus on raising my kids. I'll focus on uh, getting those emotional needs met elsewhere, which is a dangerous place to be. Not just for the obvious of potential infidelity, but uh, it's a dangerous place to be because if you get comfort in that, comfortable in that discomfort, 
it's, uh, it becomes harder to come back to a place of, of deep connection. Um, so I could spend a lot of time on this, but I don't want to because uh, just go back and listen to, to the second talk. Okay, so um, <coughs> we come into uh, marriage having experienced a lot of loss, not being fully seen, not soothed consistently, not feeling safe at times, not secure, not connected, not celebrated, right? Um, in 2017, I went to Egypt and I went to visit an orphanage there and one of the, the, the actual, the person who, who owns it and runs it, she said something to me uh, which was really, uh, uh, left an impression on me, but um, you know, I attached to one of the kids there, one of the, the boys there very much. Um, and she said to me, you have to be careful because when you walk into the house, there's 20 plus odd boys in there they all need to feel that you're celebrating their presence, not just this one person. Uh, and I had been very biased. This one, this one young boy just like stole my heart uh, and, and I felt very connected to him. And I remember her telling me like, every boy in there needs to feel like you're, 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 you're joyous because they stepped into the room. Um, and some people have grown up in their household they didn't really feel celebrated by, by their parents because parents were overwhelmed, they were stressed, they got too many things going on and um, you know, that's another thing we could also go into for, for a long time. But um, so we come in uh, to the relationship with all these kind of wounds, you know, you grew up, maybe you weren't celebrated, maybe you weren't seen, maybe you weren't soothed. And then you, uh, you fall in love and then your spouse is going to be the person who fixes all of this for you. They're going to change all of this for you. So we fantasize of the ideal spouse who will be to us what we lacked in childhood often. We won't say that, we won't speak about it that way. You know, a lot of times people say, I don't even remember what happened to me as a child. It's irrelevant, it doesn't matter. Um, I think it matters a lot, but that's just me. Um, but so then we have all this, these ideals, right? Um, that this person who really loves me has chosen me, and I have chosen that person. So maybe I didn't choose my parents, but this is the person that I have chosen, and this is the person who's going to make things right for me. So we come in, with a particular script, right? I had the script too. Um, you know, so uh, she will be, you know, uh, affectionate and kind. She's, she's going to uh, attend to my needs. She's going to follow my lead. She's gonna try to make me happy. That's a big one, right? People say, I just want to be happy. We'll talk about that. Um, she's gonna take, take care of things around the house, you know, when I'm busy. Uh, she's gonna devote time to others in the way that I want to devote time to others. And so we have this script. And oftentimes, we don't share that script with the spouse, right, our spouse. We just, uh, we're, we're talking about wedding plans and we're talking about our future. 
And that script is almost like, uh, well, of course this person knows this about me. Why wouldn't they know, right? And then she might have a script. He's going to put me first because maybe, you know, I grew up with a whole bunch of siblings and, and they were causing chaos and my parents were really focused on them and I was the good girl and I got good grades and I didn't want to cause my parents hassle and I just went unnoticed. Nobody celebrated me, you know, even though I was an A student and went to a great college and did all this stuff, like I wasn't noticed, right? But that's not going to happen because when I get married, my husband is going to adore me and I'm going to be the first place in his life. Um, he's going to make me feel special. He's going to know what I like, right? So a lot of times, like, you should know. You should know what I like, and it hurts a lot when your spouse doesn't know what you like because you feel like you're not attentive to me. You don't see me. Those are childhood wounds. You better get this, like, right, right? Um, again, she, too, thinks I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy, so hopefully this is coming. Um, and he's going to take care of things around the house because I personally don't like to clean, and my parents used to make me clean, so hopefully my husband is one who likes to tidy up and all that good stuff because that's not my, my thing. Um, and he's going to make time for me before attending to others. <laughs> so you could already see that their scripts kind of don't really align. Uh, and sometimes what we value doesn't really align. So when we're married and um, the way conflict arises is my spouse is not fitting the script. My spouse is showing up in ways that violates the script that I have for them. They're not behaving, acting in the way that I would want them to. So we typically uh, protest. We, we, we want to protest that this is not fair. This is not what I want. I want something different. And we go about it in ways that sometimes is, um, is hurtful and unhelpful. So we'll talk about these hurtful and unhelpful ways, um, looking at the, at the writing of uh, Dr. John Gottman, which is um, a researcher and a practitioner for over 30 years, looking at couples and identifying at least four things which he called uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In other words, these are four things uh, that people who struggle in marriage uh, do consistently and it really really harms their marriage so so here they are um, criticism contempt defensiveness and stonewalling so we'll talk a little bit about them the first one is an obvious one is that if someone doesn't meet the script um, I'm going to contest this pain that I'm feeling and the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to criticize. But better yet, I'm going to make uh, global statements about that person. 
So at, at a time when they may not help me clean up, I might say, uh, uh, you're, you're just always messy. Uh, I'm gonna use these global statements using always, never, uh, you never help me, you're always lazy. I'm going to make these very general and broad statements. And over time, if I'm making these criticisms and I feel that I'm still not soothed, I'm still not comforted, then I move to a place of contempt for my partner. And contempt happens to be like speaking from a place of superiority, cynicism, right? Uh, this is a really, really dangerous place to be. When you hear one partner speaking to uh, about their partner or in the presence of their partner in a way of contempt, in a way of looking down on them, from a place of kind of disgust or superiority. And it comes from a place of pain. I don't think that anybody gets married and says, I will really want to get married and invest my life being with this person and then show contempt towards them, right? But, but I think people get there from pain that is unhealed, un, untreated. Um, and then if you have criticism, you always have defensiveness, especially around hot topics, topics that you visited before several times. As soon as it comes up and one, one of the spouse says, well, I just want to talk to you about something, but I don't want you to get upset. The other person's already on guard. I hope you're not gonna mention the dishes. Just don't mention the dishes. It says, I just wanna talk to you about the dishes, right? And then it's defensiveness, and then you're gonna get a lot of defense. I was busy, I've been running around all the time. This is all you, this is all you bring up. This is da da da. And um, the, the, the person who's criticizing hears the defensiveness and becomes outraged. So they become more critical. And the person who's on the defense becomes even more outraged. So they become even more defensive to protect themselves because their nervous system is activated. They feel flooded with emotions and they're like, oh, I f really feel unsafe in this moment. And so one of the ways that, that, that one of the couples will protect themselves is through then Stonewalling, which is to, to withdraw yourself emotionally. There's a, they say a, a picture is a thousand words. Uh, <clears throat> this is a, a, a summary of this last slide. Uh, so this is a, a picture of a couple, and I want you to, to tell me what you see. He's right. <laughs> he's right, and he's he's swimming in contempt. Uh, what do you see? Please make observations. What do you see? Okay. Huh? Frustration. Okay. Okay, so, so their arms are, are closed, so what, what does that mean? Huh? Yeah, I'm closed off. I'm closed off to you uh, in a defensive mode. 
Uh, what else? Yeah, so they're turned away from each other. They're closed off, even though they're physically there, right? So let's go back to the four S's, seen, sued, safe, secure. Let's say she is really, really hurting right now. She's really let down. This, let's just create a narrative. Uh, today is their anniversary, and he had no idea, and he forgot, and when she brought it up, he kind of yelled something off and, and was dismissive, right? So she's really hurt. Um, can, can she turn to him to be soothed, to be seen in her hurt, and to say, hey, I feel, really, I feel really hurt by this. Like, this is really important for me, important for us, and I felt like you forgot something really important. So simple, right? Just to turn to her partner to be soothed in her pain. Does it look like she can do that? So project a little bit. I want to hear why you think she can't right now. Huh? Yeah. So, so she's, she, you're saying, like, even if she says, if I come from this, like, soft place of saying, hey, I'm really hurt, that it doesn't feel like she can do that. It feels too scary, right? Because what if he lashes out? It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel s like safe to do that, right? It's not welcoming. What else? This is such a good opportunity to learn about you because this is a projective test. So tell me, what, what else is happening? Yeah, yeah. Yes, so the uncertainty, you're speaking about emotional safety. I, I, I would like to turn towards you and say, I'm really sorry and come again from a place of vulnerability, but what if I get met with an attack and then I'm overwhelmed, right? Men get overwhelmed too, uh, very, very much. So what if I turn to you and say, hey, I made a mistake, I'm, I'm really sorry, and, and it's met with like really heavy criticism and I feel so overwhelmed, right? So here, here they are, uh, life partners, uh, there to love each other, to comfort each other in distress. They're both hurting, but neither of them can turn and face each other. It's really painful, it's really hard. Don't tell me you've never been on the couch like this before, I have. <laughs> Right? This is really hard. It's really hard. Um, so what I see there is a turning away. And we're going to talk about this because in our relationship, our spouse is always sending us what is called bids for connection. And we, we either turn towards, we turn away, or we turn against in every moment. It's the same thing about uh, God's presence in the moment. I either turn towards God, away from God, or against God. Where is God when I need him? And I, I could push away. So in every moment uh, in our relationship, this is, this is the same thing going on. So I, I see them turning away from each other, closed off. There's, certain, there's a distrust because you sitting from where you're sitting, looking at this, you'll say, why don't you just turn to each other? Tell him that you're really sad and hurt. And she says, no way. Well, why? Just tell him that you're upset, you're sad. 
that's the last thing I'll ever do right now. Why? It's scary. If she had the words, she wouldn't be able to say that. But if she had the words to it, she would say it's very scary. Well, why is it scary? And if she had the words, she would say, because I don't trust that he will comfort me if I reveal to him my pain. Right? So what I see here is distrust, hurt, pain. They're physically present but disconnected. Not seen. Here's our childhood wound again. Not seen. My partner doesn't see me. He's sitting there thinking, yeah, I forgot our wedding anniversary, but do you know how much, how like anxious and depressed and overwhelmed at work I am? Do you know how my pain? You have no idea. So she doesn't feel seen. He doesn't feel seen. There's lack of availability. Are you present to me right now? Can you be present to my pain? There's anger. Certainly, I, I see a little bit in his eyebrow. There's anger. For her, there's a, I see a more like numbness. Like I've been in this place so many times that I don't even want to get angry. I project a lot on this, right? Um, loneliness, that's a very lonely place to be. Um, remember, one of the things that the Lord redeems us from is the, um, the, the, the rejection of Adam and Eve from the garden is a sense of isolation and loneliness. And when Christ comes to redeem us and give us salvation, he does that by joining his life to our life. And marriage is an icon of that. It's us joining our life to our partner's life to be a healing presence, to be a loving presence, to be a sacrificial presence. But in this moment, it's very lonely. I'm hurting, but my partner cannot be there to help me. There's judgment, right? Because if I don't judge my partner right now, I could probably turn to them. But I judge that they are incapable, unwilling to care for me in the way that I need now. And definitely, the, this, is the this is the stonewalling here. I'm here, but I'm not available to you. Not emotionally, not psychologically, I'm withdrawn. Um, all right. So one of the one of the things that um, happens in marriage, and by the way, uh, Archdeacon Mark has a really beautiful talk on marriage as the path to salvation, which I encourage you to listen to it. Um, which he he talks about this um, this point. Um, what's happening there is these two lovely people are encountering their own brokenness in one another, right? There's a sense of, there's a reality being encountered here where my expectation of my partner as this loving, soothing, comforting, consistently present is not is not real and the script i had initially created of my wife being so kind and generous and loving and 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 one who is following and one who is lifting me up isn't consistently real because there there's an encounter with her own brokenness which is a reflection also of my own brokenness 
And there's a sense of, um, there's a sense of loss there. There's a beautiful book that I'm reading now. It's called Necessary Losses. And the author essentially is saying, we go through life, experience various losses, but they are necessary for us to have a deep heart to be discerning and to be wise. But to go through these uh, events of losses. And this is one of the losses, the loss of the ideal partner. That isn't, that isn't who you marry. Your fantasy isn't who you marry. And some of us have to grieve that. Say, my partner, my spouse is lovely, is beautiful, is amazing. But she, she, he isn't this fantasy that I've created in my mind. And a lot of people don't make this transition. Especially in Orange County. <laughs> right? They don't make that transition. They don't grieve that. Your fantasy isn't who you marry. You married a human being who is loving, who is beautiful, but who's also broken in the same way that you are broken. Um, the, this next part um, is uh, my personal reflection. So take it for what it is. I don't have a lot of backing either from the field of psychology or orthodox spirituality, but this is my, my perspective. Um, and so take it for what it is. Our ability to love the brokenness in the other is in direct proportion to our experience of being loved in our own brokenness. So I say it again. My ability to love my partner in her own brokenness is in direct proportion to my experience of being loved in my own brokenness. This is why um, I believe that confession is one of the most important aspect of the, the marital life. And let me tell you what I mean by confession because I don't think we all agree on what confession is. Um, I make a clear distinction between confession and spiritual counseling. To me, confession is I show up um, in front of God with a priest present to witness what's happening. And I reveal my nakedness. I just stand naked, essentially. And I just stand there. And there's no words that are said by the priest. There's no counsel, there's no, um, well, what led to this? There isn't information gathering, there isn't uh, problem solving, none of it. It's just a full exposure of the depth of my depravity. And sometimes I have to check in and if the priest doesn't really get it, I might say, well, look at how unfaithful how broken I am. Let me reveal to you more about my thoughts. Right? At one point I had to say to my father of confession, I was even judging you. Let me tell you about that. Um, and so it's, 
it, it's really revealing the depth of who you are, even beyond maybe what you could even reveal to yourself alone. Maybe by the grace of God, he will allow you to be seen in this totally naked place. And then what happens is um, you are loved just in that. Now, you didn't hear me say, and then you changed the wrong things you've done. And that, uh, uh, so so uh, I want to be very clear on what I'm saying. So you reveal the depth of your own sinfulness, right? And then in that moment, you are deeply loved, accepted, nourished in that context. That's a paradigm shift. Um, because if I can be loved in the deepest parts of who I am, that is, um, that is a, a, an experiential encounter with Christ the physician that I can feel like it becomes a model to me how I can show up as a wounded person, full of sin, full of ego, full of wrongdoing, and then be embraced in love. And that becomes the way I then turn around and embrace my, my wife. Now, is it possible, like to the, Lord, to the, the Lord's parable, who forgave, you know, the master forgives one servant, let's say 500 denarii, and then he, he turns around and someone owes him 50 and he grabs him by the shirt and he says, I want my 50, my 50 denarii. Is that possible? It's possible. But I think if, if the confession is really um, genuine and from our, our, the depth of our heart, it's really hard to, um, to turn around and grab your partner by the shirt and say, give me what you owe me. It's really hard. But I think a lot of times, um, um, even in confession, sometimes your ego will get in the way. You'll start confessing, and you'll build up walls of defense. Well, I just want to confess that I was really angry. You know, this thing happens, and this it's frustrating. And then you bring in, you know, you know your neighbor and your person at church and uncle and and what you're doing is you're building a defense to say, well, I, I'm really not that bad. Because it's hard to be really vulnerable. And to me, confession is not that. It's a bullet point of how terrible you are. Um, more precisely, how terrible you've missed the mark of love. And then to sit there and allow yourself to be loved in that. That's a paradigm shift. And so, you know, the word, the, the word intimacy is in, to, me, see, right? It's a opening up to allow someone else to see the deepest crevices of my inner being, right? Um, I talk to so many people, and I'll say, who really, really knows you? And just like that, they'll say, nobody. 
not my spouse of 25 years, not my parents, nobody. And, I'll, and then I'll follow up with it. What does that feel like? Lonely. But why? Why well, don't trust that anybody can accept me if I really, really reveal who I am? And I think, oh, how beautiful it would be if you went to confession. <laughs> also, there's an obligation on the other side that you're actually, um, uh, you know, diligent in picking a, a spiritual father where that can be taking place. So the willingness to be naked in the presence of the other, naked, now we shift towards our marriage, uh, naked, in the presence of the other, both physically and spiritually, to allow the other to see you as you really are and risk judgment, humiliation, and rejection. That's, that's the only way for deep connection, real, true love. And we see this, you know, in Holy Week, we had the icon of the bridegroom. What did the bridegroom look like? It was the suffering servant. It was Christ mangled and bloody with, with thorns on his head. That's called the, the, the icon of the bridegroom because his willingness to bear shame, only in that icon do we see the love of God, right? It's not, we don't call this one the Christ the bridegroom. We call this one the Pantocrator icon, but it's only the mangled bloody Christ that's called the bridegroom. And he is, he is the model for us. I really, um, in my, just my personal opinion, I, I can't emphasize how important it is to go to confession regularly, to sit before you go to confession and to think, in what ways have I missed the mark of love towards God, towards my spouse, towards my children, right? Um, and to come in front of another person and to be able to verbalize that, to say that, and to train ourselves to do that, to be able to be quick to do that. Yes, these are all the ways that I have neglected to be loving towards God, towards my neighbor, towards my wife, towards my child. Just like that, readily, readily accessible to me because year after year after year after year, you've practiced this, right? You've practiced this. So then when my spouse comes and says, you, you, you over, you're, you're, not, you're not seeing me. You're not attending to me. My first response is, it, what do you mean? I'm busy. Ah, right? Because I, I've already visited those places in myself many, many, many times before. Um, okay, so I think, um, I want to end in like one minute. So I, I think I'll, I'll run through this last slide and then we'll stop. Um, so if uh, in my mind I, I, um, I want to devote these uh, reflections to people who might be struggling in marriage. And so if you're not, great, good for you. Um, maybe this would be helpful, maybe not. But this is particularly for people who might be struggling in marriage. There's three things at least, like noted by Gottman, uh, that can help reconnect us uh, with our spouse. The first one uh, he calls creating a love map. So this is kind of like rewriting your script together. 
It's where a husband and wife sit down and they share a vision of their marriage. What do we want our marriage to be like? What do we want to stand for? What's important to us? How do we want to give? How do we want to be there for our parents? To what extent do we want to be involved in the community? How do we want to be towards our child? What do we want our child to see in us? It's sharing a vision and values and commitment. It's cultivating a sense of uh, togetherness. And we share this together. And this love map, we revisit it from time to time. How is it that you feel like we're, we're doing, we're working together? What is it that you envision would be different in the next few years? And the second thing is um, paying attention to uh, bids for emotional connection. So all the time, our spouse is uh, uh, our spouse is making bids to connect with us. And so that might be uh, your, your wife, your husband comes to you and says, Oh look, I was looking. Uh, I was looking on um, TripAdvisor uh, for a trip to wherever. Um, and what your your spouse is saying is, I'm I'm fantasizing about something, and I want to share it with you. I want you to share that with me. And in those moments, again, we can turn towards, we can turn away, or we can turn against. I can't believe you're looking at that right now. You should be helping me do X, Y, or Z. Right, that's turning against. Like what you have to think about, what you fantasize about, what you want, like is not relevant now because we're in distress or whatever. That could be turning against. But turning towards could be a sense of curiosity. Oh, tell me more. What were you thinking? Oh, like this? Asking questions, being open, drawing the person in, drawing my spouse in. Oh, I bet that would be fabulous. So so what would what would happen? Who would go? When would we go? Right? Pulling your spouse in. And that that bid for connection is received and then your spouse feels like ah yes she's there he's there i like that that feels that feels secure right um fondness and admiration one of the things that we sometimes forget is to stop and let our spouse know how much we appreciate them You know, out of all people, St. John Chrysostom says, you should not refer to your spouse by by their name, right? John Chrysostom wants you to call your spouse my love, my sweetheart, my, right? He he takes time in his uh, commentary on Ephesians to tell the men, don't call your wife by your first name. Only call her by words of affection and admiration. Neg is not doing that. All right, I think next time we'll come to this slide and just open it up and spend some time with it. I think I want to stop here. Questions, comments, corrections, disagreements before we end. Anything else? No? Okay, let's pray.